0: Industrial Light and Magic, LucasArts, Skywalker Sound, LucasFilm Animation. This is Looking at LucasFilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z. Welcome to Looking at LucasFilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at LucasFilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. Tonight, as we record this show, which, by the way, we're doing on Wednesday, December 19th, 2018, Dan and I are looking to the future one year and one day into the future, to be exact, because on December 20th, 2019, is when Star Wars Episode Nine will finally be released to theaters. Can you imagine the excitement for this? Because, I
1: mean, it's a new Star Wars movie, sure, but I don't know about you, but I've really felt the emptiness of not having a Star Wars film. So I think that extra... Year that they put into the schedule is going to make all the difference in the world. In fact, I'm still convinced that a solo came out now would make two or three times as much as it did before.
0: There are friends at Disney that are, are making comparisons between when Aladdin came out in November of 1992, and then, due to various reasons, including production problems and that sort of thing, The Lion King didn't come out till June of 1994. So there, there was you know this almost 18 month long period where there was no Disney animated film. And as a direct result, we saw The Lion King do unprecedented numbers. And there's a lot of folks at the studio who- They're making the comparison that the delay between Solo and Episode Nine can only be a good thing. That there will be so much hunger for this next Star Wars film. It'll do big, big box office. But the flip side of that though is because we are now a year and a day away, People are chomping at the bit. Like, how many times have have people talked with you, Dan, lately? And With the first question about is it's like, where's the Episode nine trailer?
1: Yeah, the only thing that came close to that, because I think we're just sort of in a mindset, because Marvel seems like they're releasing trailers pretty frequently. I know we're going to talk about the other ones that have been released from Disney's Pantheon over the past couple of months. But Mark Hamill made a tweet that he was going to show, he had the rights to show the exclusive brand new Star Wars trailer. Mm-hmm. And he had an image on Twitter of a trailer, but it was a tractor trailer. wasn't actually a movie trailer. (laughs) So Mark tricked us. you
0: got to love that. Well, I have to admit, I've been enjoying Mark these past couple of weeks. In fact, I I don't know if you saw, ABC did sort of a a memoriam program earlier this week, and Mark did a wonderful job talking about Stan Lee's career. It was this genuinely heartfelt conversation, looking back on the master of Marvel. In fact, Mark was talking about how he and Stan would run into each other at fan events and comic book conventions. And Mark was like, I don't get it. Every time I run into Stanley, I'm older. He never aged. Back to Star Wars stuff. Now, I guess one of the things about what's confusing people is if you look back at when the teaser trailers, for example, for episode seven were released. I mean, that was... All the way back November twenty eighth, two thousand fourteen, and it was Black Friday. Yeah, I remember standing in Kohl's watching it on my phone. <laughs> really? Oh,
1: oh yeah, I couldn't wait. Oh, that's cool. Kept waiting for it to drop, and I kept checking, and I was like, "All right, let's do it. Let's watch it here right in Kohl's." But, but
0: again, that was thirteen months ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah. Conversely, though, episode eight, we didn't get that trailer, the first teaser. Till April of 2017, and and that was only eight months before Last Jedi opened at theaters. And that was at
1: Celebration Orlando. That's right! That's right! Yep, I remember watching that, too.
0: One of the things that that impacted that, obviously, was when Carrie Fisher passed away in December 27, 2016, that definitely threw off their plans. They wanted to be respectful to the Fisher family, you know, the Debbie Reynolds' son, that sort of thing. And at the same time, they wanted people to be excited at the film, not sad that we had lost Carrie. Now, the reason that we're not seeing the episode nine trailer yet is that they just started shooting in August and the film is, it, it's supposed to continue shooting right up until February of next year. Pretty long shoot, isn't it? It is, but at the same time, Disney uses a lot of the Marvel Studios playbook when it comes to the Star Wars movies now, which means that it's entirely possible that they will go back and be shooting new scenes and plusing till just weeks before the the actual release of the film. remember, Remember all the stories about Rogue One? Of course. The other thing to take into account here is how Disney handles trailers now. It used to be that if you wanted to see a trailer, you had to go to the movies. When it comes to Disney, they take a much more nuanced position. They recognize the media landscape that we live in today, which is why if they're debuting more of a family film, it's quite likely that the trailer will first drop on Good Morning America. That's where they did Dumbo, the brand new Toy Story, get a four-teaser tra- trailer. On the other hand, if it's a, it's a Marvel movie, like, for example, the the second Captain Marvel trailer that was released back in October, that went out during a broadcast of ESPN Monday Night Football. That's right. Star Wars Episode Nine is going to be one of the biggest films of 2019, and what better way to launch this film and put it out in the zeitgeist. Where are a lot of people going to be gathered together as 2018 becomes 2019? And that's Times Square. Every year now, Disney broadcasts Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve, and now, of course, it's being hosted by Ryan Seacrest. And supposedly, right after 2018 gives way to 2019, what Disney's going to try to do as a, an unprecedented event is that all of those screens, and again, this is the, the plan as it's been explained to me, it, you know, all of those screens facing in the Times Square will play the trailer for Episode Nine. supposedly at the same time the trailer will also be aired on the TV special. But if you want to get attention, that sounds like a really good way to get attention. Yeah, I'd, I would be interested in hearing about this as well. Hmm. Now, uh, speaking of TV-related stuff, obviously lots of news about The Mandalorian. In fact, uh, just tonight, before we, we started recording here, there was some news about they're bringing a composer on board, aren't they, uh, for the show? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and I cannot pronounce the gentleman's name. I'm hoping you know how to do that. Ludwig Gorazan? I'm hoping I got that right.
1: That sounds good. That's a, Yeah, and, and he, as you um, so kind of put in the show notes, he is responsible for the score for Marvel's Black Panther, the two Creed movies, and then Venom.
0: Yep. Speaking of creepy monster-type characters, other news that broke this week in regard regard to Mandalorian is we're going to supposedly see some of the bounty hunters we were introduced to in in Empire show up in in this TV series. Okay, so when
1: you told me this, I didn't know that because I know this is from making Star Wars, right? Jason Ward's Mm -hmm. site. And Jason is someone I know very well. He is, if you are interested at all in Star Wars spoilers, that's the website you need to go to. He's an awesome guy. Mm-hmm. He is definitely in the know. He's like the Jim Hill of Star Wars, I think oh, that's that fair to say. Oh, Okay. Tip. But we've, we've got, uh, as you said, uh, we're going to get IG-88 <laughs> and Bossk as a Trandoshan. And as a fan of The Empire Strikes Back, well, most people my age are, this is awesome. There's a book from... Is featuring Ezra Bridger. It's called Ezra's Gamble, I believe. Mm-hmm. That was a young adult Disney novel where Bosk played a pretty significant role. He and Ezra were kind of like sidekicks, and that is a canonical book. But besides that, two or three seconds in The Empire Strikes Back and a couple of uh, really cool episodes of Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Bosk has not really been much of anything, and IG-8 it even less. Mm. So this is awesome. This is really awesome. It's pretty smart if you're going to play up the bounty hunter angle to
0: put in two of the most popular bounty hunters in Star Wars lore. What just cracks me up about this is from having seen Empire, these guys are literally in like one pan shot, aren't they? Yeah, just the one just the
1: one shot when Boba Fett is hired by Darth Vader mm-hmm. and he says no disintegrations to, to Boba Fett. <laughs> and you know, when you see that scene again watch the actor who's, who's playing Admiral P. Mm-hmm. And he kind of makes this look of disgust. Mm-hmm. That was real. He wasn't expecting to see those things up, up above the set. Really, he was kind of
0: taken aback. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, they are so vivid that even with the short amount of screen time, they did make an impression, clearly, because here we are 35 years later, get a plus. Yeah, 1980. Oh, God. All right. Obviously, Mandalorian is going to be coming out on Disney Play, you know, the new subscription service that Disney is launching in 2019. But any ideas when we're going to maybe see? Like, do you think this will launch when the
1: streaming service launches, or will it be after?
0: My understanding is, is Mandalorian is one of the front-loaded, right in the spotlight. Give us a sense of this is the, the level of quality and the sorts of storytelling that you can expect from from Disney Plus. So. This is a day one thing. Now, interesting, we, we heard back on November 8th that there's a second Star Wars series also in the works for the streaming service. And this one, a kind of a surprise in, in that it's really sort of taking a chunk of the Rogue One of Star Wars story, and it's going to be built around Rebel Rebels for Cassian Andor. but It's kind of a prequel set in the formative days of the Rebellion, and Diego Luna has agreed to come back to, to reprise this role. So cool. That was the one thing about the end of Rogue One, is you you had met this great cast of characters who then obviously couldn't go on. I'm kind of hoping, does this mean the robot comes back? Because I really like the robot. I would sure think so. There is a, a one-shot comic that shows how
1: he meets K2SO. Mm. But I, I don't know. That's certainly what people are hoping for. Mm. That would be great. In fact, I'd like to see. I wasn't that crazy about that one shot. I don't think they... I don't think it reached uh, the potential it should have, so maybe they could do something with that. That would be really, really cool. And knowing that Diego Luna, you know, he he took part in The Secrets of the Empire for The Void. Mm-hmm. At Disney World, he reprises his role there, too. So this is cool, because I love... I think that's probably my favorite era of Star Wars, seeing the Empire kind of burgeoning along. I think that has a lot of interesting opportunity.
0: Oh, I agree. But again, this is set pre-New Hope, where Mandalorian, that pretty much falls from the, what, the end of Return of the Jedi to yep. be, uh, Phantom Menace in that sort of gray area there. Well, no, it'll be between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, so you're, you've got 30 years of canon to play with. Okay, okay. And again, supposedly the the Rogue One, the, the, the Cassian show, will be set in, in worlds that we know, whereas The Mandalorian is, is really... Uh, the outermost Regions of the galaxy which by the way that's supposedly where black spire house post is set you know in the you know just at the the edge of wild space and speaking of wild we've got some wild news coming out of destination d event that was held back in november about the two attractions there and the land itself but i'll tell you what let's get to that after a quick commercial break here Back at the Destination D celebrating Mickey Mouse event, which was held November 18th through the 19th at the Disney's Contemporary Resort at Walt Disney World, Bob Chapek stood on stage and talked about a lot of the stuff that was coming down the line for the Disneyland Resort. And He got into things like the Skyliner, that new gondola-based transportation system that's coming to the resort likewise. The Riviera Resort, which is the new Towers DVC property that's being built, Caribbean Beach Resort. Likewise, La Grand Destino. I, I want to say that's the name of the tower that they're building at the Coronado Springs. But as, as far as Dan and I are concerned, sure, that stuff's wonderful. But it's the Galaxy's Edge info that was genuinely interesting. And at this event, we finally got a name for Big Bird. That was the code name for the attraction that's built around the Millennium Falcon. And so we now know that this ride is called uh, Star Wars Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. As I understand it, it's a six-minute long experience, but that six minutes includes basically a minute of load-in because... You know, everyone has to take one of six seats in the pod, and, you know, somebody has to pilot, somebody is an engineer, somebody has to man the weapons, and and you you have to suddenly take in the fact that you are surrounded by 200 working buttons and tags and switches and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then evidently there's a four and a half minute long ride experience, and then there's sort of a 30 second exit thing where. Evidently, the Disney cast member is going to jump into the pod and basically tell you, no, you can't take a selfie. Get out. So, (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. They're not going to get that cool Dan Z photo with Chewbacca, I guess is what I'm saying. All right? Which I'm hoping. Is that the Christmas card this year or? Well, you'll see. All right. (laughs) But anyway, okay. So. How long is
1: the Avatar ride, by the way? How long is um, Flight of Passage? Is that four and a half minutes? I
0: want to say that is. In fact, I was just pulling some info on that. Part of the problem there is brand new technology coupled with the fact that Disney went with a vendor that they'd never used before for the Flight of Passage ride vehicle, which is, you know, sort of a kind of a, a motorcycle type of thing that you sit on and that's how yeah. you put on your, your 3D glasses and you stare at the giant screen and you you fly through the air. And the problem with going with somebody who hasn't necessarily made ride vehicles before is they're not used to the notion of something having to run for 18 hours and multiple guests coming in over and over and over and over again. What has happened with the Flight of Passage vehicles is that they overheat. What happens when they overheat is that because of the way Disney does safety, the fire alarms in the building will kick on. I don't know if you know about the physical setup of of Flight of Passage, but in order to sort of give you the mountains of Pandora, in order, one of the ways they cheated the height there is they actually built Flight of Passage on top of the Navi River Adventure. Dan. Oh yeah, that's that's true. Now you mentioned that. That is true. Kind of ingenious, except for the fact that when the fire alarm goes on upstairs. In Flight of Passage, it also goes on downstairs in Navi River Adventure, which means that both attractions have to dump all of the people who are standing in line and push them outside until they can do the reset and they find out that no, there's not a fire, it's just one of the the ride vehicle uh, things that guests sit on and Flight of Passage overheated. One of the ways they've been keeping it artificially cool is They're not putting nearly as many people through that building as they had initially planned. Those five and six hour long lines that people are encountering are kind of on the back of the fact that they can't really go at full capacity because they have to figure out, they haven't figured out yet, a, a workaround for this overheating problem. So there will be rooms kept empty with ride vehicles in them because they're getting dangerously close to overheating. See, this is the problem when you go with brand new technology. So so to bring ourselves back to Millennium Falcon Smulger's run, the setup here is you have two different rings, which seven different uh, pods on each of them. And in each of these pods, you have six guests and, you know, as they rotate from the load back to the unload position. So, realistically, you've got 42 guests in each of these pods or, or each of these rings at any one time. So, it's it's uh, 84 guests who are, you know, on this attraction. If everything works the way it's supposed to, it's 1,800 people an hour. That's 500 more people an hour than Disneyland's version of Star Tours does. But remember, the in California, you have four Star Speeders, whereas in Disney's Hollywood Studios, you have... Six star speeders. So, you know, that version of the attraction actually gets 1,800 to 1,950 guests an hour. Just remember, all all it takes is one guest who's maybe had a bad churro. And, you know, and then uh, you actually have to take that star speeder out of service till... I think they call it a code V or a protein spill or whatever the euphemism is. They they have to clean that up and get it, you know, and once it's cleaned, it can go back into service. And I guess that's my concern, is that these pods supposedly can rotate 360 degrees. And oh wow, it's a stunning experience. If somebody finds this a little too realistic. There'll be all kinds of warnings,
1: I'm sure, like the, like what they do for uh, Mission Space, I'm sure, even more than that.
0: Now, I... Does it concern you at all, the whole 200 button switches and knobs thing? Is, it, does that excite you, that, or does that
1: concern you? I guess depends on what hat I'm wearing, uh, well, and that's actually not that true. I, I couldn't be more excited mm-hmm. about it. My, in fact, I told my wife, I'm more excited for this than anything I've ever seen at Disney World in my life. And she was completely in shock, because mm-hmm. she reminds me every few months... I made her wait in line for two hours for the Under the Sea ride in the new Fantasy Land. Because I said, well, I have to ride all the new stuff. It has to be part of of my Disney lexicon. So she said, you're more excited for the Millennium Falcon? I said, it's the Millennium Falcon. And the fact that you're going to get to feel like you actually can Mm -hmm. pilot this thing and you have to have a working knowledge of the cockpit is, I mean, to me, it's great. I can see where some people will be very overwhelmed and intimidated by it, which just makes me wonder if they're going to have, like, a training wheels pod versus one for people who just want to go go for it. So I can see them running into some challenges, but for me as a huge Stars fan and a huge Millennium Falcon fan, I think this is like Xanadu.
0: As a guy who can't really operate his own DVR, <laughs> I sit there with the remote control and it just you fire the weapons. Then. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I. I guess that's it. You know, just the, or maybe maybe that is maybe there's do. a Millennium Falcon jet. Maybe I can be the guy who handles the protein spills of the code V. because you know <laughs> you know working the... toss your space cookies this way. There we please. go. But the interesting thing is, you actually, if you talk with the imaginers at work on this thing, they are this really so much of this attraction was influenced by things that Disney has learned from video gaming. In particular, one of the reasons of this whole 200 knobs, dials, and switches situation is that you can get better at this. If you come back and do this, if you do your homework, you can move up from being a participant to a hero, I mean, you can save the mission. You can be the guy who, who figures out to throw on the shields when the tie fighters are coming at you, or fire the weapons and disable folk. I mean, if you do this right, and you can become a legend. And in fact, the interesting thing is that for the Disney World version of this, which we will take advantage of the Magic Bands, as you're exiting supposedly. If you screw up, if you have to drop your cargo, you will get an angry message from Hondo, him yelling at you, which you you can then silence. Disney worked really, really hard at trying, understanding that uh, there were people like me who were a little intimidated by gameplay, who weren't necessarily technically savvy. So what they tried to create for this ride is what they call a low bar of entry, that there's enough stuff in the queue that educates you about what your assignments are, that it's accessible, that you'll feel sure. comfortable participating. You'll have so much fun doing this that you'll you'll want to write it again and you'll want to get better.
1: Well, the fantasy is being Jim is being able to actually see a life-size 1-1 scale Millennium Falcon, then you can go on it and then you can pilot it and then you can actually acquire skill to be good mm-hmm. at piloting. The Millennium Falcon. I mean, that's unheard of. I'm so excited about it, I can't even say it on a family show.
0: <laughs> oh, by the way, there's a trick that they used for the Mysteries of the Nautilus walkthrough attraction at Disneyland Paris that's actually going to be used as part of the Millennium Falcon ride. You walk up to Discoveryland, and there in the lagoon, as you're, you're coming up to Discoveryland, is a full size Nautilus. No I didn't know yeah, that. wonderful steampunk bronze just sitting there with a gangplank and you can go on the vessel. But the interesting thing is that if you remember in the movie Twenty Thousand Leagues, there were tight little staircases that that sort of you know circled in on themselves. And what they did with this this attraction is again, you walk, you know, you walk across the gangplank. And you start to enter the Nautilus, and you begin to walk down the staircase. And as you're turning, you get a little disoriented, and what you don't realize is you aren't actually walking onto the Nautilus. You're walking into a show building that's actually just below the water level that takes you away from the ship itself. The ship itself is an empty facade. And that's the thing with the the Millennium Falcon thing, is that you're going to be directed into... You're going to see the Millennium Falcon, you're going to see the gangplex you're going to walk into. But once you get into that space, is going to do this marvelous bit of misdirection and get you into a show building that looks like the interior of the Millennium Falcon. It's it's actually a, a, a really clever illusion. Wow. It's technology married to old-fashioned stagecraft.
1: Sounds like a logistics nightmare, but I'm sure they're going to hone it, and I'm very excited. To, I can't even believe this. The I keep telling my five-year-old self this is going to be a thing when he's older and we're very excited. I just got schizophrenic. I'm so excited.
0: Have you seen the video that they ran at that Destination D celebrated Mickey Mouse thing for Rise of the Resistance? Which, by the way, that that's, we've been talking about Alcatraz, uh, the code name for the encounter with the First Order attraction.
1: Is that the one that they put on the Disney blog, that one?
0: Yeah, where you get to see the ride vehicle you'll be riding in. It's... In the very first shot, you can see sort of in the background, there's a purely black vehicle with a droid in the front of it. And it's an eight-passenger vehicle with a an Imperial Guard standing nearby. But that that's what you'll be riding on through the thing. The footage uh, that they show you, that's shot in the actual attraction, Dan. That's wow. the size. That's the scale.
1: Which is where those 2 add AT-ATs are going to come into play, those life-size ads I assume. There we go. That we learned about Galactic Nights in May.
0: But not only that, there are going to be 50 audio animatronic stormtroopers in this. Wow. We're talking ridiculous scale. It'll be like Pirates of the Caribbean on crap. <laughs> but without any
1: chicken or redheads.
0: The code phrase that Disney is keeps using over and over again when describing Galaxy's Edge is, you're going to get the chance to live your Star Wars adventure."
1: Are they concerned at all with balancing this with the opening of episode 9 or is that even on their
0: radar? What Disney would love to be able to do in California is a hold press day for episode 9 inside of Galaxy's Edge. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. There was once a plan that, you know, they would do the premiere out in Downtown Disney in the old AMC theater, but remember that The AMC Theater was shut down because they were going to build that five-star four-diamond hotel right in the middle of of downtown Disney. And then that project fell off the table. And so there's a lot of Magic 8-Ball check back later going on right now. But yeah, it looks like what they'd like to do, you know, they want to do the standard premiere at the El Capitan, have the performers then go in and do Jimmy Kimmel. They love doing the premieres of the El Cap, because, again, they can get two bites of the same apple with these performers going at Kimmel. But, yeah, they'd love to do the press. You get this huge publicity bump. Speaking of, you know, how Disney does publicity, if you want to get uh, even more information about uh, both of the Galaxy's Edges, uh, you want to tune in to the... Disney's Parks Magical Christmas Day Parade. That's what they're calling it this year. It's going to run from 10 a.m. to 12 noon on December 25th on ABC. They will include, along with way too many pop stars, singing songs that that old farts like me don't... No one's ever heard of. Yeah, there we go. But there will be a chunk of stuff on Galaxy's Edge that previews of rides, previews of restaurants, that sort of thing, so... Oh, wow. So, new stuff. New stuff. So, like I said, you want to check that out. After that, you know, something else you you definitely want to check out is, of course, Coffee with Kenobi.
1: What have you been talking about lately on the show there? We have just wrapped up going through the top five things we love about each of the ten cinematic Star Wars films that are currently in existence. Uh, and I always have two different guest co-hosts with me, and we all come up with our list of five, and was, and we get honorable mentions, and we have an absolute ball doing that. This uh, week, uh, the week of Christmas, I will be on with my exclusive interview with Steve Sansweet, the CEO of Rancho Obi-Wan. And then we're going to have James Arnold Taylor on, the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi, on to close out Holy the year. So it's going to be uh, a great time to listen to Coffee with Kenobi.
0: Holy cow. That's wow. I, I got nothing like that over at Jim Hill Media. I mean, I got Dizzy Dish with uh, Lentesta and Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. And, of course, Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor and Marvelous Disney with the amazing Aaron Adams. And, of course, the, the show you folks are listening to here. But... Nothing as cool as that! Holy cow!
1: But I will say I'm really enjoying uh, listening to you and Len go through the Magic Kingdom. That's that's been a real treat to
0: listen to. If you're enjoying that, in that same run of shows, we did Hollywood Studios, and in fact, we we spent quite a bit of time prowling around the outside edges of Galaxy's Edge, especially the the, oh, I can't the Grand Avenue area and, you know, sort of trying to suss out, you know, where all the people are going to stand. And honestly, if you want to get in, getting in line in February probably would be a very good idea.
1: What sounds like, I mean, these these things we're talking about with these attractions and what they're going to do with Galaxy's Edge, the lines are going to be so insanely long that the payoff is going to be there and that's that's saying something because that's a long time to ask people to wait it is so it sounds like it's gonna be worth it
0: it. is but but remember that that these two rides are only a tiny portion of the joys of galaxy's edge there's going to be so much stuff that you're going to stumble upon whether you're wandering down an alley or if you're over there the conceit of Rise of the Resistance is that, you know, the transport that you take up to the Star Destroyer is sort of hidden away in some ruins. And the interesting thing is that this is this ancient civilization that predates Black Spire Outpost. And from talking with the guys who were working on it, that if you love the glyphs in the Indiana Jones adventure, you're going to lose your mind in the ruins. Oh, wow. Because Brush up on your aura. There we go. There we go. That's a, that's a that, that, <laughs> you know, put that Oribish d- dictionary on your Christmas list, folks. You're gonna need it this time next year. Let's see. Is this gonna be our, our last show for for 2018, or we were just talking about maybe doing a year in review? Is that correct, or? Oh yeah, I'm. I would love to. In fact,
1: I'm sort of mentally making a list right now of the things that I think we should talk about. So yeah, I think we should definitely do. A, a year-in-review show. I think we started the show in April. Okay. Maybe that'll be on the list, too. It's the beginning of Looking at Lucasfilm.
0: Well, anyway, I, on behalf of Dan, thanks again for listening, folks. We'll be back with our, our year-in-review <laughs> before the year ends. How about that? All right? We'll talk to you guys again soon, okay? Thank you for listening to Looking at Lucasfilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z. One of many great podcasts on the Jim Hill Media Network.